Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. There's an expression and it goes, uh, the grass is always greener on the other side. Now, maybe you've heard that expression, it's always greener on the other side. It means, you know, there's a, there's a feeling that we have that life would just be better if we did such and such or we had this or that. What about you? Have you ever been tempted to think your life would be better if you had something or if you did something that you're missing out? Have you ever um, thought that, Maybe if you just did something that would help you to be accepted, for example, that then, think, then things would be better at school. But if we just lived like those other people or believed what they believed, we'd be happy, we would be fulfilled, maybe we'd be more spiritual, maybe all of our problems would just go away. But for example, Will Smith, first step is you have to say that you can. There's one, Justin Bieber. We only live once, so follow your dreams and never say never. And I have no skull or bones. All of those are things people might be saying. <laughs> that last one's a joke, by the way. Um, people were facing a similar situation in Colossae. There were people who might have even called themselves Christians claiming to be spiritual gurus, claiming to be really wise. Now, I used to play tennis with a guy who actually had a um, kind of Indian guru, a, a Hindu guru, uh, who he would go to and he would give him all sorts of tricks like meditations and chants and things like that that would you know make him wiser make him more spiritual all these sorts of things these kind of people might say they have some special knowledge and they try and get you to follow them now there are plenty of people telling us what to think promoting all sorts of philosophies here are some slides coming up again yolo you only live once there's one you hear all the time gender neutrality we just heard about that in our um, video and discussed it. Feminism, it's all about liberating ourselves from male, male authority and um, doing everything men should be able to do. Um, Black Lives Matter, right? And uh, all the ideas that are bound up with that, anti-government, anti-police. Yeah, so should we move on from Christianity and should we as Christians get with the program of whatever our friends, whatever the news is telling us at the moment? And that leads me to my first point, the deception of human philosophies and religions, starting in verse 20. And with, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish when they're used according to human precepts and teachings. Hear how the thinking begins. Someone says, if you really want to be spiritual, this is a thing you need to do. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And why were they listening to these people? Well, apparently they seem pretty impressive and successful. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which is like false humility, um, and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensu sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. They seemed impressive because 
they had some pretty impressive experiences. They've even had conversations with angels and visions and all sorts of things. I haven't met any angels, but if I met someone who had, I'd be pretty impressed. They use their experiences to make their ideas sound more impressive, and they keep bragging about the visions that they've had. Have you ever met someone who boasts about their experiences? Maybe there's the kind of person where you say something and they always have a better story to tell, or maybe it's someone who says they're a Christian, but they've had some pretty miraculous experiences. I met a guy uh, a while ago from a big charismatic church. Charismatic meaning they're more into kind of quite amazing spiritual gifts and things. I said, how's church going? They said they love it. He said, I know a guy who was recently miraculously healed. He didn't see it, but a friend of him told him about it. That's what made this person think that his church is really legit. Seems impressive. Now, you might think to yourself, I haven't had any miraculous experiences like that. Maybe that's the kind of church I need to go to to be close to God. But Paul says of those who act like this, talking all about all these experiences, that while they pretend to be humble, they're really puffed up and arrogant that they don't know God. They don't know what pleases God. They think in terms of the world. Now, such people can be tempting, can't they? All of us as Christians, we face various doubts, um, various temptations, maybe temptations to sin, um, to the anger or, or lust or, or maybe greed. And we have doubts about, is God there or does God really love me? And the temptation for us is to look for something new, something fresh, something that seems really impressive and feel embarrassed about being a Christian. Interestingly, today, there aren't many people telling us not to do anything. In fact, the opposite is true. You should do everything. You should choose to do whatever you want. Don't let anyone tell you not to. And as we've already talked about, one place pressure is coming to all of us is from what is called postmodernism. And I've got it up on the screen there. It's the belief there is no truth and that tolerance is the highest good. It is... Um, it has its gurus, like many of the people on television and many celebrities, and those who say all beliefs are equally true. If you want to be a good person, you need to accept what everyone else says about whatever they think is true. You need to tolerate and accept everyone else's beliefs, then they will accept you. Know that the Bible is true, but all the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus bodily. He is God himself. He is the author of creation. He knows what's right. He knows you. The problem isn't we need to be free to ourselves whatever we want. The problem is our sin. We find forgiveness and our, our meaning, purpose, identity in Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you'll have, um, you will have experienced the pressure to give up on Jesus because it makes you look silly. It's tempting, isn't it? The grass looks greener. If I just give up on Jesus, then I'll be accepted by all the cool people at my school. But here's why it won't work. Have a look with me at verse 22 to verse 23. Uh, Referring to things that perish when they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, which just means false humility and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. While such philosophies might look wise and impressive, they can't stop us 
from actually continuing to sin, to following all of our sinful desires. The words sensual indulgence or indulgence of the flesh just means our sinful desires and cravings. Human religions and philosophies are of no value in preventing sin. They have no power in stopping us from sinning. What is sin? Sin is our self-desire for self-rule. It's a desire to disobey our parents and teachers, a desire to be selfish, a desire to look at pornography, as a desire to exclude people from our group and only want to be friends with certain people. Sin makes us guilty before God. Have you, um, has your desire for sin ever been killed by simply saying not to do something? Like, don't, you know, wet paint. Don't put your finger in the wet paint or don't step on the wet paint. Has that ever really strongly stopped you has your guilt for having done the wrong things in the past ever fully gone away by trying not to do something you can't change your heart with a band-aid you can't remove a guilt our uh, guilt by trying just to do good works that's why paul calls it hollow and deceptive philosophy in verse 8 like a house when the insides have been demolished it promises much but gives nothing and therefore, in verse 18, it says such wisdom will disqualify us from a relationship with God and eternal life. Like a false umpire who tells you to start running backwards, we wouldn't listen to an umpire like that in a human race. Why would we listen to someone in a race that matters most, a race to heaven? Now, with all these views that you might hear, you might feel liberated for a moment. You might feel like you're part of the increase for a while but you're leaving behind the only solid ground for a promise that will only disappoint you and that brings me to my second point the reality is found in christ we need jesus as a foundation for our relationship with god while god gave rules and um, to the people in the old testament verse 17 says they are a shadow of the things that are to come but the reality is found in christ how is the reality found in christ verse 13 to 15 when you were dead in your sins um picking up verse 13 and you you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh god made alive with him having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him all of us have a charge against us we're sinners we stand condemned before God. We've all failed to obey God as we should. And when we die and face God on judgment day, that stand, standing will still be there. That record of how we have failed to obey God will still be there. Jesus was crucified and he, and he had a side nailed, nailed above him about the charge um, against him. That was the charge that we deserve, but it would put against him. And here Paul is saying, that that was written as a charge against Jesus it was actually really a charge against us. So when Jesus died on the cross, God declared in verse 14 that he cancelled the charge against us, nailing it to the cross. But not only this, also to know God is to be aware of the real powers of the evil one. And those powers that accuse us of our, that we deserve death, like the devil, are disarmed once and for all because verse 15 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by tramping over them in him back in the roman empire the generals demonstrated that they'd won a victory by parading through the streets 
with all of the prisoners in a long train behind them. Shamed and exposed to public gaze, everyone would be able to see that they no longer need to fear all of those soldiers, all of those enemies, because look, there's the general and they're all slaves behind him. This is what Jesus did when he died on the cross. It was a public display that God was nailing every sin and power that accuses us onto the cross. The cross was Jesus's victory and it's there for all of us to see. Every sin we've ever committed, all of our guilt was put onto Jesus. So we can declare with confidence we have true spiritual freedom and forgiveness and power to put to death every single sin. So don't be deceived. God cannot do for us anything greater than what's already been done for you in Jesus. At the cross of Christ, the authority of sin and evil was overthrown. We were dead, but God made us alive by forgiving our sin. Truly, he has brought us from death to life, from slavery to freedom. Therefore, Paul says, we never move on from Jesus. Look at verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. When someone comes to trust in Jesus, the first thing we come to do is to declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We never move on from believing Jesus is Lord. We just grow in our understanding of what that means. And this should change us. We are at all times tempted to believe the grass is greener. And in these moments, our tendency is to speak of receiving Jesus as our saviour, but not as our Lord. Jesus can be our saviour only because he's our Lord, because he is in control of everything, over, including sin and death, he's able to be our saviour. You cannot separate our forgiveness from sin from our need to keep obeying and following Jesus as our Lord. If Christ alone makes us wise for salvation, why do we act as if we need to look anywhere else? If you or anyone you know is growing dissatisfied with Jesus and starting to adopt worldly ways of thinking, we need to patiently urge that person to come back to the beginning every time. The grass is only greener when you water it with the gospel. Furthermore, if God is our judge, let no one pass judgment on you. We can never move on from Jesus because Jesus is Lord over everything. And only in him can we receive true wisdom and the ability to put sin to death, relationship with God and eternal life. We need to keep watering ourselves in the gospel. And I want to close with reminding you just how good that gospel is that you first received if you did come to trust in Christ. Because I think it's important to remember, as Paul says, as you received Christ, so walk in him. I was uh, listening to this testimony of a man the other day and I found it really amazing. Ten years ago, Beckett Cook was a homosexually oriented man in Hollywood who had achieved great success as a set designer in Hollywood. He was at a fashion party and he was thinking to himself, you know what, I've met everyone in Hollywood, I've been to all the parties, I've achieved all the success, yet he said he felt really empty. Then six months later, he was at a cafe and he saw Christians with their Bibles open doing like a one-to-one -one kind of Bible study with a few of them. They explained the good news of Jesus and they invited him to church and he came to trust in Jesus. And here's how he describes his conversion. I couldn't stop reading the Bible. Giving up the gay life wasn't that difficult. It was actually quite easy. I had just met Jesus and the relationship with him was so overwhelming and wonderful and all consuming. It didn't feel costly 
because I was so full of joy. In my relationship with Christ, I felt so safe. I didn't have to perform. I would tell everyone Jesus, um, Jesus, and I didn't care about the consequences. But it did cost me some really deep lifelong relationships and his job. If people ask me how I identify, I just, I'm just like, I don't identify by my sexuality. I'm a follower of Christ who has, who has a lot of struggles, including same-sex attraction. Instinctively, I always knew it was wrong. I felt shame. And so I found myself liberated through the gospel. So he said he was constantly needing to be renewed by the word um, because it was constantly bombarding us with lies every day. He said, every day I wake up and I'm in awe that I have a relationship with God and that I am in his kingdom. Pretty amazing testimony, isn't it? And that's what happens to everyone when it comes to trusting Christ. Jesus is more amazing and is able to do more for us than anything else. Cook doesn't miss the empty and deceitful ways of life he used to live. If you're a Christian, this is the same reaction we should have again today. Remembering what it means to have our sins nailed to the cross. As the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, famously says, My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. So let's keep remembering how great it is to have our sins nailed to the cross because we bear them no more.